Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to Psalm 23rd Psalm. We'll read just one verse there. We'll read it in the King James, and then I have a couple of more versions that I just want to point to. Psalm 23 and verse 6, it says, Surely, most certainly, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Amplified says, Surely goodness and mercy and unfailing love shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell forever throughout all of my days in the house and in the presence of the Lord. One more says this, For sure, you will give me goodness and loving kindness all the days of my life. Then I will live with you in your house forever. Over the last few weeks, we have spoken concerning the favor of God. We began with forgotten favor, the fact that it's easy to forget the favor of God in our lives and how numerous it is and how great it is when we're faced with just one negative circumstance. It can take kind of all of that positive thought away. And we talked about flourishing favor the next week, the fact that the favor of God is with us, even when we don't always recognize it. It is always behind us, pushing us and thrusting us into greater areas of the Spirit. Today we want to speak from the subject forever favor. I'm not talking about fleeting favor, but we're talking about forever favor. Let's pray together this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your presence that is here. God, I thank you that you showed up, Lord, to minister. God, what an empty meeting it would be, Lord, if it was only us here this morning, Lord. But you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of everything, God, you showed up in this room this morning, God, that people might sense your presence, God, that people might sense victory, God, that people might sense, God, greater things for their life. I thank you for that. Now, as your word goes forth, God, let the same anointing that fashioned it, God, rest on me and upon this congregation of hearers in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. As the disciples of Jesus, we do not experience, I believe, just temporal favor, something that is here today and something that is gone tomorrow, but God had plans for us to experience forever favor, something that is eternal. I recall as a nine-year-old boy, being ushered into a school gymnasium with all the other students of the elementary school. We were having an assembly, they told us. I loved assemblies. That got us out of class. And I remember being ushered into that room, and we all sat cross-legged on the floor in very orderly rows on that gymnasium, and we were all wondering what was going to happen. As we sat there, we watched as a principal rolled a 32-inch TV. That was big back then. Into the gym area on a portable media cart. We were informed that we were going to watch the launch of Space Shuttle Columbia. Now, shuttle launches had gone before, but this particular launch, it was special. This launch date was November 12th, 1981, and this was an extra special launch for Canadians because it would be the first time that the Canada Arm would be engaged in the mission. This was the space arm of shuttle designed and made by Canada and used to deploy and maneuver cargo in these missions. As kids, we were mesmerized as 
We watch the astronauts' profiles and we watch their interviews pre-flight. We watched the final prep take place, Brother Keith, and we counted them down as they neared the end. And together, it was all of us students, five, four, three, two, one, and then ignition and then blast off. And as kids, we were absolutely astonished at what happened before our eyes. The shuttle rose off its launch pad to cheers and applause of many. And boys and girls, that day would begin to dream that one day they would go to space themselves. Fast forward to today, 42 years later, and Virgin Galactic advertises that space travel is possible for all. Their brochure challenges you to find your space in history. CBC carried the story from just last week. Virgin Galactic launched its first space flight in nearly two years on a Thursday a key final test for the space tourism company before it, listen to this, begins flying commercial passengers to space. We have reached space, Virgin Galactic tweeted, adding roughly 11 minutes later that the spacecraft had landed smoothly. With all the tests completed, good news for you and I today, commercial passengers, you and I can now apply to go. The application fee is a mere $10,000. It guarantees that your application will be looked at. <laughs> Upon the acceptance of your application, there's a $150,000 deposit. When you are accepted for the mission, when your deposit is received, then there is 300 more thousand that is due before flight time. Anybody going to go? Now, I'll be honest this morning, I'm not planning on being a passenger on Virgin Galactic. But, Brother Keith, you talked about it this morning. As a child of God, I do plan on taking flight one day. The Word of God gives us the promise that one day the church, you and me, we will leave this world behind and we will go to something that is higher Come on, is anybody looking forward to the hope of the church? We don't hear a lot about it anymore, but I want you to tell you, I'm making plans to go. Richard Branson can take Virgin Galactic. He can fly the space shuttle, whatever he wants to do, but I'm making plans one day to be with Jesus. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up, shall be raptured, shall be together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. You say it's a bit uncomfortable here today. I don't know what we're going through here today. I don't know if I can live another day. Well, you can comfort one another with these words. If you're here this morning, you're in the right place for flight preparations to heaven. In 2023, there's not a lot of preaching about heaven. Not much talk concerning heaven in the middle of the cultural crisis of which we're a part of right now. But I think it's good that we as a people of God be reminded every once in a while that it is our hope as a church. The word heaven, it appears 196 times in your King James Bible. The Bible references heaven in many other ways in Scripture. 
talks about a holy city in Revelation 21 and 10, about the dwelling place of God in Matthew 5 and 16, about paradise in Luke chapter 23 and verse 43, speaks of the new Jerusalem in Revelation 21 and 1, speaks of a great reward in Matthew chapter 5, speaks of the joy of the Lord, enter into the joy of the Lord in Matthew 25 and 21, speaks of our eternal inheritance in Hebrews 9 and verse 15, talks about simply refers to it as the city in Revelation 22. Mount Zion in Hebrews 12 and 22 and our blessed hope in Titus 2 and 13. Again and again as the people of God, we are reminded that God has something awesome for us beyond this realm of which we're a part. Today, beyond this earth, beyond where we're at right now, beyond even what you're going through in this moment, the gospel in the gospel of John, Mary and Martha, they are in mourning of the loss of their brother Lazarus. I mean, if you can read between the lines, this was a close-knit family. They had sent word to Jesus at the first sickness of Lazarus, and they were waiting for Jesus to arrive on scene. But in the meantime, the scripture tells us that Lazarus died. Jesus arrives on sight, and this is the scene as Martha meets him. In verse 21 of John 11, it says, And then Martha said unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it to thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Martha, believest thou this? We know that day that there was a physical resurrection that happened. But Jesus was teaching more beyond just calling Lazarus from the grave that day. Jesus was teaching them that what happens here on earth, what happens here for the church, what you're going through here in the present, it is not the conclusion of your story. Now that's hope for the church because there's lots of people that are even in our city today that they have come to the end and that will be the conclusion of their story. But you and I, we know the Lord. You and I, we know something greater. As the church, we have a blessed hope. Titus 2 and 13, it says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This word blessed here, it means looking for that happy hope, that beneficial hope. Our hope is blessed in that Jesus will return and it will be amazing. It is going to be a joyful experience that we will celebrate as a church of the living God. We will be blessed beyond measure when we see Christ. The trials of this life will be over. The songwriter said it, I believe, very well when he said it's going to be worth it all when we see Jesus. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, Paul writes, he says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. 
You see, Paul knew that there was something greater that was on the horizon. Paul himself was looking for that blessed hope that Titus wrote about. The word hope here, it, it does not in any way communicate doubt. You need to understand this. This hope that we're talking about, it doesn't, it doesn't portray disbelief or some kind of distrust or something that might happen. It does not mean that hope is something that might occur. But this hope, it is solid assurance of what is going to take place. Titus is saying, I know he's going to show up. I know that one day I'm going to see him. I know that without a doubt he's coming again. I know that Jesus will return. And you and I sit here in 2023 waiting for that event today. Jesus said he would return in John 14 and 3. The angel said he would return in Acts chapter 1 and verse 11. The apostles said he would return in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Jesus could come back at any moment for his church. And at that moment, we'll experience this hope that we're talking about this morning. This catching up, this catching away, the rapture, it'll happen, the scripture tells us, in the twinkling of an eye. Before you can blink your eye, it will take place. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 52 it says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And again, it addresses us that are here, and we shall be changed. Somebody said that we're going to fly the skies united. We're not a commercial airline, but that could be our tagline as a church. Virgin Galactic will have nothing on the church when it takes flight on that day. Jesus' imminent return, it should motivate every disciple of Jesus Christ to live godly in this ungodly world. You see, we'll all stand before the Lord someday to give an account for how we lived our life well here on earth. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 it says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he has done, whether it be good or bad. Looking for our blessed hope, Titus says. This word looking, it brings us into another realm. Looking means that we live each day in a continual anticipation anticipation, in continual expectation of the return of Jesus Christ. Keeping in mind throughout our day that it could happen at any moment. We are motivated by the hope of seeing Jesus. We are motivated as the people of God by the hope of heaven. A couple years ago, Barbara Walters did a two-hour TV documentary on different views about heaven. It showed that people of all sorts of religions have views about heaven that are all over the map. Buddhism's idea of heaven is nirvana or that state of enlightenment. Islam preached the idea of paradise. The Baha'i faith regards heaven as completely symbolic. Several years ago, you'll remember Heaven's Gate group thought they could go to heaven on Halley's Comet if they could catch a ride. Pope John Paul II declared that Heaven or happiness in which we'll find ourselves is neither an abstract or a physical place. I'm here to declare this morning that heaven, 
is a real place. The scripture tells us that. Heaven is not a myth. Heaven is not a fairy tale. It is not a happy ever after. It is a real place that has been prepared by God himself for his people. In fact, recent polls suggest that nearly 80%, if you can believe this this morning, of all Americans believe there's a place called heaven. This is up from 67% from just a few years ago. You say, that doesn't make sense, Pastor, that more people are believing in heaven now than they did then. Why would that ever be? Because people are searching for some kind of hope out of this mess that we're in. There has to be something better. There has to be something greater. There has to be something more. There's got to be something more than the pain that we're having in this present life. There's got to be something more than the few short years that we've been a privilege to experience here on earth. There's something more than just being born and living and dying. There is something more. I believe there's also a sense that we are made for something more than this life. Anybody believe that this morning? Paul said, if I had hope only in this life, I'd be of all men most miserable. You see, we were made to live forever somewhere. Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, he said, eternity is in the heart of men. Heaven, I want you to know it is a roomy place. There's room for you. This morning. John 14 and 1, it says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He's not going to do the bait and switch on you. He's not going to tell you there's a mansion waiting and take that mansion away when you get there. If he said it's there, it's there. If he said he's coming back, he's coming back. If he said he's going to return, he's going to, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this. I wonder what would happen if we would start to believe it as a church that the return of Jesus Christ was as real and as imminent as you and I sitting in this room this morning. In my Father's house are many mansions. I'm told the world's largest residential palace is Istana Noruo Amman. It serves as the official home for the Sultan of Bruni and his family. Architect Leonardo Loxon mixed elements of both Malay and Islamic architecture to give the home its palatial appearance. Now listen to this. The extravagant house, it has an incredible 1,788 rooms. Think you have room for your family this morning? Including air-conditioned stables for the Sultan's 200 polo ponies. We wouldn't want to leave the ponies out. A mosque that can accommodate up to 5,000 people in a 110-car garage. You have a mansion. The scripture tells us that eye hasn't seen, nor even ear heard. It has never entered into the mind of man what the Spirit has prepared for them that love him. I want you to know this morning that God is preparing a mansion and he's inscribing your name on the doorpost of that mansion because it is for you. I'm glad I got a mansion just over the hillside. Heaven was created with you in mind. 
In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, here it is, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you can be also. He said, I don't want to be somewhere else. I'm going to make a place where they can come and be with me. It is a turnkey mansion. You're not going to go on the tour of this place with the real estate agent and say, you know what, I think it could use a little work on the bathroom. I think perhaps we'll take those cabinets down and maybe install some new ones here. No, 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 no. It is greater. It is more fabulous. It is so awesome that you won't want to change a thing. In fact, you're going to enter that mansion and then you're going to close the door. You're going to go out again and say, I want to find Jesus. He's the one that I really came to see. Oh, this mansion's nice. The surroundings are nice. But Jesus, Brother Jeremy, he's the one I came to see. Heaven was built by God. Abraham, he was a man that had hope beyond this temporary world. He was a man that understood that there was something greater than where he was. Hebrews 11 and verse 8, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went not knowing whither he went. The scripture says, by faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, with heirs of him and the same promise. And he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker was God. Now for Abraham, that was a physical place that he was headed with his family, but it was also a foreshadowing of where you and I are headed. You say, why, why do you go there every Sunday? Why do you gather there on Wednesday? Why are you so careful to, to make sure you pray? Why are you so careful to raise your family in the truth? Why are you doing this and doing that? Oh, oh you're never going to understand. I'm looking for a city that hath foundations. I'm looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. I'm looking for something that is greater than where I am right now. You've got to understand where I'm going and the direction that I'm headed. It doesn't end up in an eternal destination. It ends up in something that it... It doesn't end up in a temporal, excuse me, destination. It ends up in something that is entirely eternal. Amen. You say, well, how do we get there? Heaven is entered into through obedience. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 14, it says, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Many people, if you ask them, they would say they're going to heaven. But the Bible would give us a different judgment. The Bible says the only ones that will go, the only ones that will enter that city are those that are obedient to the law of God. People who live their life according to the word of God. Contrary to popular belief, everybody sadly is not going to heaven. In fact, the scripture, it makes that clear for us. It says two will be in the field and one taken, the other left. Two may be sleeping in the bed and one taken and the other left. You see, it's nice for us to think that everybody is going, but that is not the case. You need to obey the gospel, obey the truth. I want you to know this morning that heaven, it is a reason to rejoice. 
Luke chapter 10 and verse 20, it says, Notwithstanding in this rejoice not. Rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you. They came back and they said, oh man, we're excited that things are happening just when we come near and when we use the name. Jesus says, don't be excited that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. You can be happy about all kinds of things, but here is one thing that really ought to make you rejoice. Jesus said what really ought to make you happy, what really ought to make you rejoice, what really ought to make you celebrate is not that spirits are subject to you, but that your name is written in heaven, that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the book from which the roll call of heaven will come, and I plan on answering present on that day. This morning, heaven has your reservation. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away. How? Reserved in heaven for you. Your reservation's already made. It's already got the confirmation number. As we've been having these Spanish services at the first of each month, I've been texting Brother Ari the confirmation number for the hotel. I let him know it's already paid for. You just got to show up. You just got to move in. You can be there. They'll make sure that everything. We're told that it's reserved for us. The confirmation in heaven, it is already made. I'm going home with Jesus in the twinkling of an eye. I've made my reservation for a mansion in the sky. That ought to excite you this morning. I like to travel and I like to sightsee. And when I get to heaven, there's some sights that I'm going to want to see. But the first of all, I mentioned it already, I'm going to want to see Jesus. I found that he's my bread when I'm hungry. I found that he's my water when I'm thirsty. I found that he's a light in the darkness. I found that he's a nail in a sure place. I found that he's a solid rock. I found that he's a counselor, a deliverer, a redeemer, a healer. I found that he can be everything that I need him to be and more. In those next moments, I'm going to talk with Nan and Grandpa Long. I'm going to see Nan and Pup Tracy. I'm going to talk with Mama Tracy. I'm going to talk with my dad. I'm going to talk with Uncle Jack. I'm going to talk with Brother Gary Donna. I'm going to talk with Lynn Kingston. They're waiting over there, and there is a hope that waits for us. Now, I can't speak for you this morning, but I plan on checking in to my mansion. It's going to be wonderful there. Musicians, you can come. You say, what is heaven really like? Here's a brief description, and Brother Keith already gave you some of it this morning. John says, he says, writes what he saw when he was given this vision of heaven. 
Revelation 21 and 18, it says, For the building of the wall, it was of jasper. And the city is pure gold, like unto clear glass. And the foundations and the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. Verse 21, And the twelve gates of the city were twelve pearls. Every several gate was one pearl. For the streets of the city were pure gold and were transparent as glass. Now, I've never seen it for myself. But it sounds like it's a place that's beyond compare and beyond measure. I can't tell you what it's going to exactly be like, but the scripture tells us that John saw a holy city. New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice, John says, out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And he shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death. Neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Heaven will be a place with no more funerals. You're going to be out of work, Brother Keith. There'll be no more farewells, no more tears and no more fears, no more aches and no more pains, no more sickness, no disease, no anxiety, no depression. I want you to know something about the church today. We are earth-based, but we are heaven-bound. Come on, we're just here for a moment. We're experiencing this for but a moment. But what is waiting over there for us is so much greater. I want you to know this morning as you stand, it's going to be worth it all. Every trial, every mile, everything you've done, everything you've seen, it will be worth it all. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1, just a couple more scriptures. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Titus 1 and 2, it says, In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. And I like this one, 1 John 2 and 25, And this is the promise that he made to us. Eternal life. They're going to start to sing and we're going to get together this morning and we're going to celebrate what we're about to experience as a church. For the favor of God, it does not end here on earth. In fact, it actuates and it accompanies eternity. You were favored yesterday, yes. His favor is on you today, yes. His favor will be there tomorrow, yes. But I want you to know you are marked for favor forever. <laughs>